welcome back to Constantino Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, Movements of Fire and Shadow. So, once again, this is another big one. Uh, I consider these, like, three episodes right here, uh, the one previous, this one, and the next one, to be really the culmination of what's left of the plot threads of Babylon 5. Basically, all the plots are being wrapped up. Uh, and all that's left after that is epilogue to see the characters on their way, something and something begins, and uh, we can end out the show. Uh, and what we're seeing here is history repeating itself in a horrible, horrible way, uh, with people playing different parts in their role. If the world was a stage, as Shakespeare would put it, we each have our role. Uh, and, uh, so essentially, uh, the, the entire situation comes down to the Drak have been, you know, putting these like pod type things in the Centauri warships, which is why, uh, the Centauri were so resistant to the evidence is because they had no idea what was really going on. The minister was ordering, you know, increased, uh, you know, munitions and, uh, in ships being built, but no one was being assigned to these ships. So the Centauri were like, what the hell's going on? You know, like the, it meant nothing to them. That's why everybody's so resistant to what the ISA is doing. Uh, and then, uh, in essentially they're, they're attempting to sow chaos. Uh, they are trying to show resentment and build on the already existing prejudices against the Centauri for a particular reason. Uh, Sh Sheridan guesses exactly that uh, it, it was, you know, it's in some way to uh, punish the Centauri. And that will become more evident in the next episode where all is revealed. But it's safe to assume that Drak are, you know, being much like their masters in a way. You know, they are shadow servants and they uh, wish to become like their masters but they don't have the exact skill of their masters uh, you know everything that they do is very blatant uh, not as well targeted as the shadows and not as well uh, planned as the shadows it's still effective because they know how to play on emotions uh, but the shadows were far cleverer with it in their ability to sow chaos. The parallel here with the pods that take over the uh, uh, the ships and fr frankly even says, you know, the, the, the regent could have got his hands on it by uh, secondhand sales, you know, and Lita even says that she thinks the Psychor has one, uh, that the idea I'm thinking is nuclear technology or WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. We created these things out of uh, necessity to end a war, uh, or do, even in some cases to not even contribute to the war. It just ends up, you know, affecting it. Uh, some scientists uh, had more altruistic motives than others. Uh, and the problem is, is that technology then ended up in the hands of other people, people who didn't know how to use it, but were willing to. And this was going to become more apparent in the later episodes. Like, that is very clearly what the allegory is. Is, you know, look at the remnants of World War II or the, the remnants of the Cold War and how those 
technologies, those weapons found their ways into people's hands who didn't quite understand it, but were willing to use it because they needed or wanted the upper hand. Uh, and I've been talking about Lita in that kind of circumstance that effectively the, the telepaths are weapons and they were weapons that have just been discarded and now because they are weapons with free will they have to decide what they're going to do next uh and we see lita is basically done with shit like uh she's flaunting her powers as we saw in a couple episodes ago but now like she's taking almost a perverse pleasure in in you know having that uh that drossy kill himself uh, and she's actively doing deep scans without asking permission and actively causing harm. Uh, and when Veer asks Franklin and Lee to go to the Drazi homeworld to find out why uh, the Drazi aren't returning the bodies, which of course there are no bodies, uh, but I do like that that was called attention to because that is actually quite a common thing. Is it, 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 you know it's a sign of respect. Um, though war is often horrible and miserable and shows very little respect for anything. Into Armin, I didn't see that legacy in the time of war. Law falls silent. You know, there's some things that humans still consider sacred. She refuses to go out of the kindness of her heart or willing to help a friend or anything. She asks for money up front, and it has to be an exact amount. She will not negotiate. It's 4000 End of story. You know, uh, I think that's all leading to the fact that there's this overlying sense of the shadows are gone. The Vorlons are gone. Their legacy remains. We are their legacy. And how we shape our future is going to determine where we go from here. Uh, and in some cases, we discard, you know, uh, people. Uh, the, you know, we, we, the generation that fought in World War One is called the, you know, the lost generation. And the generation that fought in World War Two is called the greatest generation. But look at how many veterans have been cast aside, forgotten you know, uh, there was tons of resentment after the Vietnam War in America, not only because of the, you know, risky legality that was that war and whether it was, you know, had a purpose or not, but also because veterans, you know, they, they suffered miserable circumstances. A lot of them came home with a lot of mental problems and they didn't receive the care they needed. Uh, they were just tossed aside because... Who gives a shit? You were a warrior when you were needed, and a warrior is no longer needed, so bye. And that's what we have, is the Drak and the Telepaths are essentially that. Uh, and they are now having to carve their way and make their own legacy outside of their masters, just like the humans and the you know the Centauri and the, the Mimbari. When, the, when Sheridan says, get the hell out of our galaxy, now the Drak and the Telepaths have to figure out, you know, what that galaxy means to them. I think it's interesting that uh, after, you know, however long the fighting has been going on, they figure out that the Centauri don't have any strategy and that they're not even fighting with their traditional tactics that are well-documented and well-known. Uh, and Sheridan is getting, like, this inky feeling that something's going wrong, which, of course, he figures out, uh, and Lita and Franklin confirm. But one interesting thing that we see is that the quote-unquote Centauri, or just the drug-led Centauri vessels, are basically doing suicide runs on jump gates. And are basically, as Lockley points, points out, that's violating all known laws of civilized warfare. Which, of course, war is not really a civilized thing, but we can at least try and 
regulated as much as we can. That's why there's this thing called war crimes. Uh, but think about this for a second. The jump gates were here before anybody in this show had, you know, space travel uh, of any kind. You know, jump gates were, you know, the key to faster than light travel, conquering the stars. The jump gates, if they're gone, everybody has to figure out what to do next because they don't know exactly how to build it. They know how to use it. Once again, that theme of legacy, you know, it's it's there. They know how they, 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 they don't necessarily know how to use it exactly, but they're willing to try. And so without the jump gates, you know, galactic civilization falls apart. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's why everybody's on edge is not only are, do they all have noticeable vendettas and obvious vendettas against the Centauri and emotions are running high, uh, but also the very threat of their, of everybody's livelihood is on the line here. Uh, and of course that's all the Drox plan is they want emotions to go high because when emotions go high, you stop thinking. And the moment you stop thinking, well, you can do some really stupid shit. And that's what we have here is uh, the Drazi and the Narn um, uh, basically coordinate to go and fire on the Centauri homeworld, Centauri Prime. Weirdly, uh, Natok is there, played by Robin Sox, who also played Nakal. Um, it, when I first watched this, I thought it was Nakal, you know, the, the guy that Sheridan helped defend back at the end of season two and showed up again and uh Jakar gave him Swedish meatballs. Uh I think it would actually be fitting as someone who suffered firsthand at the Centauri, fought it fought in that that conflict and was the last, you know, surviving warship commander uh at that time. I think it would add something to this overall theme of retribution, vengeance and legacy. Uh, if it was Nicole, but for some other reason it's Natak, played by the exact same actor. I don't know why it's not Nicole, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but the, the scene in which Centauri Prime is attacked is, uh, interesting because the emotional weight behind it and the themes that are at play and the way, uh, you know, Peter Jurassic acts that scene, it's nearly perfect. The way it's directed is awful. Uh, we go from a very chilling scene where the regent, in his manic state, uh, you know, under the influence of the keeper, reveals all to Londo, and Londo realizes the horrifying truth that he's about to watch history repeat itself on the other side. Instead of being on the ship that bombards the planet, he's on the planet that gets bombarded. And he rushes out of the palace, and for some odd reason, there's a slow mo, and. Uh, you know, Londo just stops midway through, looks back, and then continues running in. I don't know why we need the slow-mo for that section. And then when the, the firing starts, there's the zoom-in on Jakar, the regent, and Londo. And it's like, we get it. Um, if it was handled with the same kind of, uh, you know, regretful melancholy, the bombing of Narn uh, was in The Long Twilight Struggle... I think it would have been far better because that that once again draws that parallel that Londo is now on the other side. History is repeating itself because we have failed to learn from our mistakes. Uh, we have let anger and prejudice and bias and vengeance, you know, 
seek retribution rather than working our problems out, which is what the ISA was there for, and it failed at its mission entirely. So, yeah, that that I think that's an unfortunate deal. Like, it could have been directed a lot better. The way it was written, the way it's acted, is fine. Could have been done better. I do like how, in this episode... We get set up for the uh, the ill-fated uh, spin-off crusade. Uh, uh, basically, Sheridan and Delenn have a discussion about uh, the Mimbari government uh, through the ISA and the human government through the ISA coming together to create uh, a symbol of their new union, uh, and which is a destroyer-class white star, which we know to be the Excalibur. Uh, which is which shows up in Babylon Five: A Call to Arms, uh, and then uh, which is the sort of backdoor pilot for the spinoff, and then is the main ship of Crusade. Of course, Crusade got canceled before a single episode even aired, so it was doomed from the start, which is sad because it actually had some pretty interesting ideas, and it's classic JMS of a slow build to something massive and of course we never got the revelation of everything that was going to happen which sucks because uh, I love this universe but at the end of the day I'm satisfied with the five seasons that we do have of this series I didn't need more I just happen to want more you know uh, it's that it's that uh, natural inclination of being a fan you understand the you know, from an artistic in an in, in ethereal point of view the story is done, but you can't help but be greedy and want more, you know? Um, I also like the growing tension of this episode. You can feel like this is the end. Um, uh, like I said, next episode is sort of the end of all the plots that run through season five, and that's the culmination of, you know, every major thing in B5 as far as a plot sense. The story will continue because we still have an epilogue. We have to say goodbye to these characters. We have some small character arcs to, to finish weaving or wrap up or, you know, move along. So, uh, like, the the overall tension of this episode is quite well built up. Uh, you know, we, you got Sheridan racing against time to save all these, uh, you know, Centauri from being murdered. Uh, you have the uh, Londo you know, horrifically watching his home world that he sacrificed everything for. Remember, he loves Centauri Prime more than everything else. As he said in the beginning, he loved every street, every corner, every inch of our world. Everything he did, he did for Centauri, the Centauri. Okay? And he just now has to witness something he witnessed three years ago destroying Jakar's homeworld, he now has to be on the receiving end and watch his homeworld burn. I imagine how that feels for him and how much anguish and misery and pain, and it's not going to end for him because I know what's coming up, and that will be next episode. Uh, the pain and tragedy of Londo Malloy will continue, and as we well know from In the Beginning and War Without End, yeah, he's going to be a prisoner in his own burning palace. Emperor of Ashes. Uh, and you have the Delenn and Lanier stuff. They're stuck in hyperspace. They're, you know, uh, who knows if they're going to survive. And some people may wag their finger at that and go, well, we know that Delenn's going to survive because uh, we saw Deconstruction of Falling Stars, which is, it's a valid criticism, but it's a criticism I've never really cared for. 
Um, it's one that I can just wave away. To me, as a writer myself, as someone with a degree in writing, tension comes from the moment. Uh, uh, there is a general conceit in all of fiction that the main character usually survives. There's some, you know, uh, you know, uh, fiction that, you know, subverts that. But if I'm reading a Daredevil comic, for instance, I know Matt Murdock is not in any peril. Not really. His life may be destroyed, you know, five ways to Sunday, you know, as every writer does, because as Brian Michael Bendis said, you read Daredevil to watch a man's life get, you know, blown up. But Matt will endure. We know this. He's been a character around since 1964. You know, he, you know he's going to stick around. There, there's no issue there. You know, we always know Batman's going to be around. Uh, that kind of thing. These are franchises, not just uh, works of fiction. As such, yeah, we know Dylan's going to survive, but the tension of what's going to happen and potentially the revelations between her and Lanier will be interesting. From a character perspective, it matters more than whether she's going to live or die. That is inconsequential, at least to me. And my writing teachers agreed with me because drama and is ultimately a contrived bit where you have to balance the reader expectation with the story demands and what the character demands. And it's a hard balancing act. And not, not everybody can balance that correctly. I think this works quite well. Some people may not agree, which is fine. It's valid criticism. I'm not denying that. It's just one that I can easily ignore. I, I think it's interesting, Londo's little nightmare. I, I'm interested uh, to hear what you guys think. Do you think that nightmare actually happened? Because there's multiple readings I can see of that scene uh, where the shadow surgeons are, you know, operating on him. Um, you know, he, he was abducted and, and this was all, you know, preparing him for the keeper that we know he's going to get things to war without ended in the beginning. But here's the thing. We know that Centauri have prophetic visions in dreams and we know that he is able to see certain things. He saw the forthcoming of him becoming emperor. He saw his death. You know, he, he saw the, the many deaths that the, the, the shadows were going to do at his hand, at his command. Uh, so perhaps he is sensing in his prophetic dreams the hold the Drakkar are about to have on him, or do already have on him, uh, and he's sensing his utter doom, and he knows he's imprisoned in his own fate. Both are equally valid interpretations of seeing whether it happened or whether it was just a prophetic vision. I think both work. Both are interesting. Uh, but... Uh, Ultimately, I don't think it really matters e either way it works. Uh, I find it interesting that uh, the way the Minister of Defense handles Londo, uh, basically like saying, no, you're wrong, you're going against the Regent, we're not going to back you or anything. What's interesting about that is ultimately there are two things at play there. Uh, the Centauri, from their perspective, outside of the Regent and anyone else who has a Keeper, uh, you know, it's business as usual. Only he knows what's going on with the 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 the, the uh, you know the ships, and uh, they're basically fighting a war of defense because, as far as they're concerned, the ISA pinned everything on them, and well, they're being attacked for you know out of a witch hunt, which we already see that there's quite literal witch hunts happening on Babylon Five, where the Centauri are being targeted just because they're Centauri. 
Real turns, does it not? I swear. Uh, that's one thing that B5 gets very well, is that the horribleness of society and uh, we as people is that we so often turn to vengeance and retribution and anger and hatred and bias and prejudice rather than deal with our own problems. But uh, also within that, that minister scene, there's this sense, this arrogant sense, it's maybe the way the actor plays it, uh, that there are still some Centauri who believe in the old days, even though the grand old days in reclaiming that glory gave them a mad emperor that wanted to see them all burn and nearly got them wiped out by the Vorlons. Um, you know, grand old days may be a bit, uh, you may be looking at that with a, you know, rose tinted glasses. Uh, but obviously that mentality is still there somewhere in the Centauri people. And you got to feel sorry for the mistakes of the Centauri, uh, their hubris and their decadence and the decisions of Londo. The Drak are punishing the Centauri. So imagine Joe Schmo. He's got a kid. Well, wife. Uh, he works as he works as a, a humble grocery store clerk. He's walking home from his job. Suddenly, lasers come from the night sky and burn everything he's ever owned and everything he's ever known to ash. And why? Because he happened to be born Centauri. The Centauri are to blame for everything because they're the warmongers. That's the thing. One day's oppressed can be another day's oppressor, and vice versa. One day's oppressor can be another day's oppressed. We live in cycles. History repeats itself. Uh, and those who do not learn from their history are doomed to repeat it ad nauseum. Uh, and I also like how Babylon 5 being Babylon 5, it's not afraid to throw you a curveball. Sheridan, the great hero who has defeated the shadows, sent away the Vornlons, you know, won the, the Civil War, you know, did all this great stuff. He's the hero. He even came back from the dead. He's rushing against time to save all these Centauri from certain death. And he doesn't show up on time. Because as much as this is a work of fiction, it tries to take itself like a real slice of a universe. And in real life, heroes don't always win. Heroes don't always show up on time. The bomb doesn't start uh, stop ticking at one second. Sometimes horrible things happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes you were just that close to stopping it, and the moment vanished. And people died because you weren't fast enough. That's the power of Babylon 5. Uh, we're, like I said, the back half of Season 5 is spectacular. Anybody who tells you Season 5 is bad, well, I don't know what they're smoking, personally. Because Season 5 has its ups and downs, personally, in my opinion, as I have talked about. But boy, these, these handful of episodes, top-tier stuff. Anyway, see you next time. Bye. Bye.